Romans 8, 18. One verse. One verse. One verse. But this is a wonderful verse, so we're going to do our best to take a look at it, unpack it. And may it encourage your soul. May it encourage your soul. You know, suffering on this side of heaven touches all people. I'm reminded of the fact that the biblical narrative is filled with stories of suffering, from Hagar to Job. Think of the Psalms, Israel, the Exodus, Jesus Christ, the disciples, the early church. Major and minor suffering in many different ways, suffering. You know in church history that men and women have suffered. They've suffered for the faith. They've been ostracized. They've been burned at the stake. They've been jailed. They've been beaten. They've been thrown to the beast. Families torn apart. Women and girls raped. Homes ravaged, children killed, all kinds of unjust acts of evil because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Suffering. The majority of suffering we learn about, we glean from across the pond. Suffering. But as I come to this text this morning, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For me, I'm reminded of men and women, boys and girls, who trusted in Jesus Christ here in America, who hoped in Christ, and they suffered also. When I come to this text, my mind thinks about those things I already shared about church history, but I'm also reminded about the African-American experience. I'm reminded about the black church. And for some, you may say, well, there's only one church. There's only one church. Well, that's true, but if you're honest about a reading of American history, it'll tell you that the black church was not birthed because people wanted to do their own thing. And it was not birthed because individuals wanted their own cultural expression of their faith, but there were individuals who professed faith in Christ but they were far more committed to this country and far more committed to the laws and the status quo of this day than to Christ. They weren't committed to the new creation. They weren't committed to the law of the spirit. And they ultimately were not committed to the Imago Day and all people. And so the African-American experience is a treasure chest to glean from and to learn how men and women all of us from all walks of life can live and know that we can endure suffering as we hope in Jesus Christ. I want to read something from you from this book called Beyond the Suffering. It talks about embracing the legacy of African-American soul care and spiritual direction by Dr. Robert Kellerman. It's a wonderful book. And in this book, he talks about how professed African-Americans profess faith in Christ endured and worshiped and trust in nail-scarred hands. Listen to some of the things that are said in here. Once connected with Christ, enslaved African Americans faced desperate desolation with profound hope. 
The slave spirituals teach that life's contradictions are not ultimate. Otherwise, life would be hopeless and we would be helpless. But the slaves yielded to God's sovereign prerogative, either to reveal or conceal himself in this life, because they knew that though obscured now, his purposes would become clear and his person would be near in heaven. They shout their heavenly hope of direct access to God in this song, soon it will be done. No more weeping and a wailing, no more weeping and a wailing, no more weeping and a wailing, I'm going to live with God. I want to meet my Jesus, I want to meet my Jesus, I want to meet with my Jesus, I'm going to live with God. Soon it will be done with all the troubles of this world, the troubles of this world, the troubles of this world, soon it will be done, done with the troubles of this world, gone home to live with God. Howard Thurman explains, when all hope for release in this world seems unrealistic and groundless, the heart turns to a way of escape beyond the present order. Enslaved African Americans relied on a future hope. Where do you get this future hope from? Where do these men and women get this future hope? hope from in the midst of all of their struggles and their situations? Where do men and women who were beaten and thrown and burned at the stake get this hope from? It's right there in God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this life do not compare with the glory that has been revealed in us. And so, beloved, we stand on the shoulders of both good and evil in all of church history, even the parts we're unfamiliar with nor taught or we incorrectly discredit. And so this morning, I preach for your joy. I preach for your joy in Jesus Christ to remind and instruct you that you will suffer in this life. I preach for your joy in Jesus Christ that we can endure because others have endured. I preach for your joy because we this morning are going to set our hope on the final phase of our salvation when we are glorified, and when we see the glory. And so the point of this one verse is this, the glory of Jesus Christ in the next life outweighs the temporary sufferings in this life. The glory of Jesus Christ in the next life outweighs the temporary sufferings in this life. So let's look at the text. It begins by saying, for I consider... I consider. Now, by saying that he is considers, Paul is stating that he has thought through and he's come to a logical conclusion concerning salvation in its relationship to salvation. He's thought it through. Specifically, Paul has concluded that suffering's relationship to the final phase of salvation journey, the glory of God, they're not worth comparing. As if for Paul, what he's doing is he's taking the process of salvation and he's pulling it apart. And he says, I want to see suffering through this lens. I want to see the beauty of how God is using suffering and how it works within my salvation. Salvation, as you know, is both simple and it is complex. It is simple in the sense that we believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You're here this morning. You don't know Christ as your saving Lord. 
Because the problem that you have sin, the Bible says believe. Believe and you will be saved. Very simple, but salvation is also complex. It is complex. Here in Romans chapter 1 through 7, Paul laid out, Paul laid out the plan of salvation. It's very complex. He begins by talking about in chapters 1 through 3, heaven's accurate view of humanity and creation. They're under sin. And then he works himself through 4 through 5 of heaven's accurate view of the penalty of sin, the wrath of God. Then he gets to 6 and 7, and he gives heaven's accurate view of the only way to deal with sin, and that is to send Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, he gives an accurate view of those who trust in Jesus Christ. They have peace with God. And so Paul wants to pull all of this apart and say, now let's talk about suffering. Where does it fit? So Paul considered he made a logical conclusion as he thought about salvation and applied it to suffering. Christ Church Roseville, it is good for you and I to consider suffering. It is good. But not only is it good for us to consider suffering in light of our salvation, it's also good for us to consider every area of our life in relation to salvation. Everything about life. There is no area in your life in which Christ does not say, I'm king, I'm ruler, at all. He's ruler of everything. He's ruler. So you and I want to look at life based on what Christ has done, is doing, and what he will do. So that will help us in terms of how should we respond in life based on what Christ is doing, will do, and is going to do. How should I act? How should I talk? Why should I say no? Why should I say yes? How should I plan my day, my month, my year? What kind of husband should I be? What kind of wife should I be based on salvation? What kind of employee or employer should I be? What kind of single person should I be? What kind of church member should I be? We should consider every area of life in light of salvation. So Christ Church Roseville, we need to continue to consider. And this is exactly what Paul does here in this verse. But it's beautiful here because Paul doesn't just consider for himself. He considers for other people. He's concerned about other people. When we think about salvation, it is something we believe, John 3.16, but also you enter into a body of believers. As a body of believers, you should be concerned not just of your own growth, but also the growth of one another. The growth of other people within this body of Christ. Christ Church Roseville, you've done it, and you're going to have to do it more. When you have to consider for other people. Because life hits hard at times of suffering, and I'm going to talk more about suffering. But life just hits hard sometimes. And sometimes it's hard for other believers in Christ to consider for themselves. Sometimes it's hard for others to stop and to pray. 
Sometimes it's hard to run to the Word. Sometimes it's hard for others. And there will be times in life where you may have to visit someone, to sit with them, to listen, and say, Holy Spirit, work as my brother and sister is struggling, and they need me to help them to consider. Consider what's going on in light of salvation. Sometimes you just have to sit and listen and say, I'm praying for you or we're praying for you. There are times when the suffering will hurt so much you'll have to say, I'm sorry this happened. I don't know what else to say, but I'm sorry that it's happened. Or you may say, well, how can our small group be a blessing to you? Or we want to be a blessing to you in this way. Because life hurts. So Christ Church Roseville. Paul considered, let me ask you, who are the people in your life that help you to consider how the plan of salvation shapes every area of your life? Who are the people that you have in your life that help you think about salvation and how it applies to every area of life? So Paul says here in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So once again, the big idea is this. The glory of Jesus Christ in the next life outweighs the temporary sufferings in this life. Now let's zero in on the two seasons of life that Paul considered. He says, first, the sufferings of this present life. The sufferings of this present life. Now, he qualifies, he says, the present life. So he's not talking here about eternal suffering. He's talking about the sufferings on this side of heaven. The sufferings on this side of heaven. And so here, when he talks about the sufferings here on this side of heaven, we have to remember that Paul is writing to his original audience, to the church at Rome. And so as he's writing, Paul doesn't know any of us in this room. He's not thinking about any of us at all. In the mind of God, they knew about us, but Paul did not. So there was some specific reasons why Paul was writing, what he was trying to communicate to them, what he wanted them to understand. And so Paul wasn't thinking about the United States when he wrote this scripture at all. So what does he mean when he says suffering here? What did that church understand? What did they understand as they read his letter? Well, the word means hardship or pain or affliction that befalls one. So Paul is writing not just a general letter, but he's writing to a specific group of people. He's writing to believers in Christ. And he's saying the sufferings of this life, the hardships, the pain, the afflictions that befall, the suffering, the weight that comes upon you. Suffering is weighty. There's an internal feeling to, to suffering that comes upon you. The suffering, suffering that some in that church were carrying. He said those things, they don't compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. The suffering. Think of it like this. If I can illustrate it for you. I have this book back here. It's got a few books in it. So when I think about suffering, I think about the fact sometimes it's like a bag you carry, you have on. Now this morning, everyone looks wonderful here. 
But some of you are carrying some weights. You said hello, you got the coffee, you smile. You sung, you're going to get back in your car, you're going to go home, and you're carrying a weight. For some of you, it's very heavy. Could be some weights that you're carrying that's going on at home. Or the weight at work. Or the weight as you're thinking about your children, decisions they're making, the hopes you have for them. All kind of weight. For some, you're not carrying anything right now. You say, I put a bag down <laughs> three, four months ago by the grace of God. But I know that tomorrow's coming and I may have to pick up another one. Though at times, as a body, we may not know the weights that you're carrying. Beloved, may you be encouraged. Christ knows. He knows. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you cry. He knows when you have those long conversations with your husband or your spouse. He knows as a single if you're having challenging thoughts and you're carrying the weights and thinking about all kind of things. He knows the weight that you're carrying. Now we can put suffering into two categories. There's the general suffering. That's for believers are not both minor and major. Just general suffering that we all go through. The general suffering of just living in a sinful world. A sinful world that we live in. You know the story from Genesis 3. Stuff could be like, hey, we're down to one car. The other one's in the shop. Need repairs. Can't pay for it. Got six months of chemotherapy to begin on Wednesday. Just general suffering. And sometimes you suffer because of the actions of others. Sometimes you suffer because of your own actions or the actions, I just said, of living in a sinful world where you deal with the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's just general suffering. We all deal with it. But then there's redemptive suffering. And that is the suffering because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. It's because you've committed to live countercultural and to honor Jesus Christ in this sinful world. Well, Paul knew that, and I think that's probably what he's getting at, knowing the general suffering, but the re redemptive suffering because he's pulling apart salvation, and he knows if you're all in with what I'm saying, if you're all in when I get to Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're all in, you're going to suffer. He knows. He knows. And you know that Paul knew firsthand that allegiance to Christ will cause you to suffer. And what I mean by allegiance to Christ, what I'm saying is that you're seeking and you're intentionally living to not just be a church attender, to not just get good feelings for an hour, hour and a half on Sunday, not because it's tradition. No, you are living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a learner of Jesus Christ, however you want to put it. I'm a lover of Jesus Christ. And God, in his wisdom, wired, wired suffering into salvation so that it would wean us off of this world. He's a wise God. Suffering. He's working in all of us. This is redemptive suffering. He's working in all of us so that we grow. And we say, not my will, but your will be done. 
He's growing in us to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Moment by moment decisions you have to make every day. Moment by moment decisions to not be part of the gossiping culture on your job. To remain silent or remove yourself when others want to slander or speak ill of a supervisor, a team leader, or a manager. No, you're a follower of Christ. It is the courage to challenge with grace and mercy another professing believer. When they don't want to pick up the signs that you're not a part of that gossiping culture on the job. But you work for another. You work for Christ. Suffering, beloved, is not easy. It is much easier to lean into the Christ-hating culture. It's much easier to, to joke. It's much easier to lean into the gossip. It's much easier to lean into the pressure to accept any and all forms of sexual orientation. It's much easier to do those things. It's much easier to do those things to feel accepted amongst the group to not be ostracized, not to be labeled as intolerant. It's much easier. But you are a follower of Jesus Christ. When you trusted in him, you laid down everything and you said, my ultimate allegiance is to you. It's not to an organization. It's not to a team. It's not to a committee. It's not to a culture, it's not to a job, it's not to any social group, it's not to any movement, it's not to any ethnic group when you trusted in Jesus Christ, it's not to any political party. You bowed your knee, as it says in Psalms 2, and you kissed the hand of the Son. You said, you're king, you rule. My allegiance is to you. I preach for your joy. Christ Church, you will suffer for following Christ. You will suffer in a general sense for just living in a sinful world, but you will suffer because of your obedience to Christ. You will suffer. Remember this, the glory of Jesus Christ in the next life outweighs the temporary sufferings in this life. Before we move on, let me just speak briefly, and more could be shared about these, about um, what's God's purpose for using suffering in the believer's life? Well, one is God uses suffering to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 28, 8, 28, and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's God has everything at his disposal to conform us into his image. Everything, that's his goal, to conform you to be like Christ, even suffering. God uses suffering to produce hope in us for the return of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God uses suffering. He uses suffering, both minor and major suffering in our lives. 
But like I said, suffering hurts sometimes. It hurts. I'm not trying to be flippant at all about suffering. It's painful. Very painful. But understand this, God does not use suffering in the believer's life to punish them for their sins. Maybe you say, I did something two years ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, and you attribute that to the challenges you face with relationships or just in life. And you think in your mind, I'm paying for my past actions. God is making me pay for my sins. Now, you may be suffering the consequences, but you're not paying for your sins, beloved. Christ did that. On the cross, Christ died for your sins. Listen, beloved, you don't have enough righteousness to pay for your sins. Only Christ has paid for your sins. Let me illustrate this for you. I actually just wanted to get that book bag off my back. That's why I took it off. You know, um, sometimes when we think about suffering, when we think about suffering sometimes, we think God is using this. Sometimes we think God is using this, and he is beating you all over the head and the arms and the legs, and he's just coming down on you, and he's using this hammer. Beloved, God is not using a hammer on you. He's not. This is what he's using. It's a paintbrush. You take a paintbrush and you design and you create something beautiful. Sometimes the stroke's a little bit harder, sometimes they're not. But God is in the process of creating in everyone in this room who's trusted in Christ something beautiful. He's not beating you up. He's conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. I preach for your joy. I preach for your joy in Jesus Christ. May you be encouraged. Suffering for believers has an expiration date. Suffering for believers has an expiration date. For you and I in Christ, we go from temporary suffering to eternal joy when we breathe our last breath or when Christ returns. But if you're outside of Christ, meaning if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you remain in that state, you go from temporary suffering to eternal suffering. You go from a state in which you cannot be removed from. Now is the time to believe. Right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You say, why do I have to believe in Jesus Christ? Why Christ? Because God is holy and God says that, yes, he created you, but you have a problem that all people have, and that is sin. You're a sinner and you're in need of a savior. And God says that he loves you and he's not asking you to do anything about this problem. He did something. He sent Christ into the world. And Christ lived a perfect life. What you need is a perfect life. You need someone to obey all of God's laws perfectly. Jesus Christ did that. But then you also need someone to pay for your sins because there's a price. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ is the only one that does both, perfect life and pays for your sins. But the key is this, does God accept the payment? And he does. The Father only accepts what his son has done. There's nothing you can offer him at all. 
to pay for your sins. Trust in his offer of peace. Trust in him right now. Believe. And that's why you need to trust in Jesus Christ. You may say, well, what happens if I don't? What happens if I don't trust in Jesus Christ? What happens if I say, you know what, I know another way. I think I can figure this out myself. But you hear these words from 2 Thessalonians 1. It says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I preach for your joy. If you've not, may you believe in Jesus Christ. And may you not die and have Romans 8.18 on your mind and 2 Thessalonians 1 that I just read the rest of your life. Separated from God in hell. I preach for your joy in Jesus Christ. Well, the verse continues and he says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And the end of Paul's train of thought is, this final, is the final process in the plan of salvation, the glory to be revealed. And the process is election, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There's more in that. We don't have time to go into the other uh, stages or phases, so to say. We're just going to focus on this last one because that's what he's getting at when we're glorified the glory that will be revealed to us. He says in here are not worth comparing. The idea behind this word is the idea of weight or worth, or we could say value. If you put the two side by side, sufferings of this present life, the glory to be revealed to us, Paul is saying they don't even measure up. They're unequal. They're not balanced out. Beloved, the weight of suffering in this life, it is heavy. But there is another weighty reality for us, our joy in the future. It is the weight, the good weight of the glory of God. Oh, that glory will not be burdensome at all, at all. It will be a blessing. It will be a blessing to you. He says here, the glory revealed to us, the glory. Now, now, this is not easy to explain at all. Now, Scripture only provides us with stories of individuals who experience the glimpses of the glory of God. It's hard for you and I to grasp this, no matter how much we read or someone uh, uh, teaches on it. We just can't grasp it because we live in these sinful bodies. We've never seen anything like the glory that's going to be revealed to us at all, but we get glimpses of it. You remember in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord sitting upon the throne, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Whole earth, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy to him. You remember it goes on, and Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. What have I just seen? The glory of the Lord 
And there's also a negative glimpse we get from the earthly side with Nadab and Abihu. You remember? They dishonored the glory of God with unauthorized fire. You remember Leviticus 10? Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. God's glory. Oh, beloved. We'll be able to see the glory. And what happened to Nadab and Abihu won't happen to us. We'll be clothed in our glorified bodies. But then you remember Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ before Peter, James, and John. You remember. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Remember, they saw something. They said, should we make, you know, three, three pillars to worship? And God spoke, this is my son. This is the one to worship. So we get glimpses in the Bible of individuals who interacted with God's glory. John Piper has a good definition. He says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness, God's glory. And so, beloved, for eternity, you and I will enjoy the splendor, the greatness of his holiness, for eternity. And you and I will do that in a world that's free of suffering. You remember the beginning of the verse says, the suffering of this present time. Your salvation ends with marveling at Jesus Christ. Forever. Forever. You say, is that all we're going to do? Though? Other things we're going to do also. In heaven, but let's just stop there. Marveling at Jesus Christ. Your mind says, wow, marveling at Jesus Christ. Really? That it? I can watch a football game for two hours. I can go shopping for maybe three hours, four hours, depending on what the sales are going. You know? I can wait. I put in an order at a restaurant. I can wait about 15 minutes for it to be ready, and then where's my food? Our minds can't wrap around what it would be like to see glory at all. By the grace of God, beloved, God has done everything needed for you to see his glory. Everything. And the beautiful thing that God is still at work because in Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, Christ Church, Roseville, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For this perishable body, your perishable body, must put on the imperishable. And his mortal body must put on the immortality. Every detail of your salvation has been worked out out. God, before the foundation of the world, chose you, not based on anything you've done, 
not based on any work that you would do, simply because he wanted you to. And then he sent Christ down the cross for his sins, and you believed upon him. He gave you, he, he gave you new life, the regeneration, and you can believe on the Son and be saved. You're at peace with God. Now you're in the process of sanctification, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but it's not finished yet. There remains that face when you'll get that new body. You can't buy it. You can't go anywhere and buy that new body. It'll be given to you. And you'll enjoy Christ forever, the glory to be revealed. That's the hope. That's the hope that got people through who stood up and said, I will not recant. That's the hope that got people through who said, I believe this book. That's the hope that got people through who said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's the hope that got people through who were taken from their own land and beaten and whipped. They hoped in another. They hoped in Jesus Christ. Who's your hope in? Are you hoping in Christ? Are you looking forward to that glory that will be revealed? He ends by saying, reveal to us. This is a specific group of people, the us. The us are the ones who've been called out by God. The us. The us. The us is a diverse group of people. It's a diverse group of people. We attend a predominantly African-American church. Predominantly African-American church. I look here, it's a predominantly white church. That's fine. But in heaven, it'll just be us. Just be us. We'll do our best to kind of figure out how do we come together, how can we work through all the layers of church history and American history. It's hard, it's tough. It's tough. But one day, beloved, won't be no poor, won't be no rich, won't be no Republican, Democrat, independent, won't be no black and white and all those other things. We will be surrounded in heaven, a tribe from every tongue and nation, enjoying the glory, the glory revealed to us. And so Christ Church Rose, I bring this to a close. May I encourage you to have times of pre-glory previews. Pre-glory previews by continuing to take in the word of God. Have a growing discipline of taking in the word of God. Every home, every home here should be a place where God's word is open throughout the week. May this not be the only time you gather as a family around the word. Take in the word. If your children have a tablet or a phone, download the Bible on that thing. If all they have is games, let them enjoy the games. But download the Bible and encourage them, challenge them, tell them, your parents, yeah, tell them. <laughs> read the Bible <laughs> be here for corporate worship be here to gather with the saints because you may not 
have a bag when you walk in, but someone else may. And they may need to hear from you. They need to be encouraged by you, hugged by you, talked to by you. And I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes the money's funny. And you may not be able to get around. The, the gas is tough. You're out of town. Uh, you're gathering with another body. There's some things going on. But if you can be here, you should be here. Because Christ chose you before the foundation of the world to meet with a local gathering of people. Surround yourself with mature believers in Christ. Men and women who aren't perfect, but they're seeking to live obediently in every area of life. You need those people in your life to stretch you, to stretch their faith. And if you're mature, you may have to be the one to take the initiative, to go after and see men and women, as it says in Hebrews, to move from milk to meat, to mature in the faith. And so, beloved, there is nothing that God could give us in this life that compares to the glory that will be revealed to us. Nothing at all. There are some things I'm sure that you may say, I need. There's some things I need. Some things I'd like. There's some, there's some wants. It's amazing that he can do that, and he may do that. But there's nothing this life can give you that compares with the glory that will be revealed to us. Absolutely nothing at all. So Christ Church, Roseville, life it's hard. Broken relationships, medical diagnosis, children making unwise decisions. You lose your job, your hours are cut, you're looking for a new job, you're living paycheck to paycheck. Connection sometimes is hard between husband and wife at times. You desire to be married, you're praying, you're hoping, you're not sure of what's next in life. Sometimes your body just hurts, it's aching, you, have, you don't have the energy like you, you used to. Life hits hard. It hits hard, beloved, but may the truth of God's word hit back and comfort all of us. The sufferings of this life do not compare with the glory to be revealed in us. Let's pray.